Good morning, everyone. My friends, uh, one of the themes of the gospel and uh, our first reading are groups, different groups of people, uh, who's in, who's out, uh, who has salvation, who doesn't. This is what's uh, being dealt with. And uh, my friends, um, the second reading, St. Paul is kind of dealing with the same thing. It's a little bit different. He's uh, putting forth uh, that God's uh, graces, his covenant is not revoked, and anyone who would approach God, God will allow him to return to them, to him. And uh, in this case, uh, we see what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, the Gentiles and the Jews. And uh, my friends, uh, in our first reading, uh, something the same is going on. Isaiah, the people, the Israelites have just been in captivity. They've been hurt by that. They've been damaged by it. Uh, they're healing. Now they've gathered again. And then within their community are a bunch of foreigners. And they don't know what to do with the foreigners. Are they, gonna, are they part of salvation? They're not part of salvation. What's going on? And Isaiah addresses it. Um, and so my friends, um, uh, given this, I often think about um, all of us. There's all of us who have professed to be Christians um, in the world. What group do you say that you're in? Do you presume to be in the group of the elect? Meaning those, uh, particularly in the scriptures, the elect are the ones that God chose. This was a reference to the Jews. But um, are we the ones who are going to heaven? Or do you assume maybe you're not in that group and you're in the other group who, for whatever reason, don't cut it as Christians, and so they're not going to heaven. And um, from sacred scriptures, such assumptions and presumptions about who's going and who's not going, Jesus turns it upside down. And uh, from Isaiah, we understand this. He said, foreigners will join themselves to the Lord. And he says, and the Lord himself will bring them to his holy mountain. In his house shall be called a house of prayer to your right written on the very wood of the church, is that statement. My house shall be a house of prayer. The wood wasn't long enough for me to put the rest of the quote. <laughs> so it's dot, dot, dot. Um, but, um, no, my friends, uh, this is a stunning pronouncement as the Israelites that were in exile presumed that they alone were so favored by God, the God of Abraham, because they were the chosen ones and they had suffered. And certainly Isaiah would speak words of encouragement to instill hope in their hearts during a, severe, a very severe time for them and challenges. But Isaiah did not speak about exclusivity that way, about excluding someone. He said just the opposite right now. With the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one of God, Jesus of Nazareth, one can begin to see, what is this house of prayer for all people? What would it look like? The gospel account proclaimed today tells of an extraordinary event. A Canaanite woman, a despised person. She's a foreigner and not just a foreigner. The Jews don't like them. I can be just short of hatred. And likewise, they didn't care for them either. This woman does the unthinkable in her time and culture. She approaches a Jewish rabbi and asks him for something. 
in Jesus' time, a woman does not approach any man she is not familiar with. She certainly wouldn't approach someone from another tribe who is a religious figure. It just doesn't happen. Friends, she does something else, and I've been cautioning people, don't get mad at me as the preacher. I'm just telling you what was going on. It's important for you to understand the culture of the time and the words that are used to understand the meaning. In Jesus' time, the man or the boy was preferred. So the woman is asking a special grace to come upon the girl, a daughter. There was a dialogue that ensues, and it's startling to us to hear, but it was to be expected in that time and culture. So we see Jesus is initially silent. Then he seems to ignore her request. He speaks to all of them saying, I've come only for the sheep, the lost ones of Israel. And then using the slang of that time, Jesus basically refers to her as a dog. This is a term that's awful, and she is very familiar with it because she's called it all the time by the Jews. Everyone's about this. For me, this is just me. I believe the woman does something that I think has happened more in our time also. This horrible term is thrown at her, and she takes it back and uses it again, but she takes control over it in the same way that other people, other races of people have done the same thing. In the wartime, uh, the Jewish people were referred to as rats. In the 60s, some very nasty terms are used for people. They've taken that word back. They can say it, but don't you dare say it. Hispanics, all kinds of nasty terms. To which some of my cousins and stuff use the words in Spanish towards each other. But I'm sorry, but the white people cannot use that word <laughs> against, against the Mexicans. You see what I'm saying? She takes that word, that dog word, and she takes it, brings it back, and she will put it back at Jesus. We'll get to that. All the while, the disciples, because she is crying out over and over again, here's where the English text doesn't quite get it uh, as nice as the Greek. Um, she is crying out, and she's doing it over and over again. It, when you read it, it sounds like she said it one time, and she just said it. But in fact, she is crying it out to the point where uh, the disciples say, she's annoying, she's driving us crazy, send her away. And to much of all of their amazement, the woman does not stop. She is not hindered by their insults. And she says she'll take the scraps that fall from the master's table. In English, it's master. In Greek, it's not master. It's Lord. She's willing to take the scraps from the Lord's table. I mean, this is... This is, this is a little bit different. In this, she implies that she is not just any dog. She is the dog of the Lord. Yeah. The dog of the Lord. That's a little bit different. 
And my friends, uh, dog, the word dog, I've spoken about this before. It has two meanings. One meaning is a street dog that's wild and astray. The other one is the family pet. It implies family pet, a lap dog, which sits at your foot often. For some of you guys, that dog is on your lap all the time, right? So which way do you think the disciples used it? Which way do you think Jesus used it? Certainly to our ears, this whole dialogue seems just not like Jesus. He's compassionate and kind. Why would he say things like this? So what is happening? Jesus seems to be setting up something in order to teach all of them, his disciples, anyone who could hear him, and the Canaanite woman. Something remarkable is about to happen. First, the woman... In the original text of the Greek, she is not just calling out, she is crying out. My friends, I'll draw your attention to an event that happened just before this where Peter does the same thing, and the same word is used about him. He cried out also, Lord, save me. Remember where he was? Trying to walk on water. Remember why he sank? Because he became terrified. He needed to cry out very loud, too, because the waves were loud and intimidating. Now think of the Canaanite woman. She, too, must cry out loud, but not from waves of water. She must cry out loud because there are waves of hatred and discrimination levied against her, trying to intimidate her to go away. So here it is. Jesus is setting it up to contrast faith and perseverance against the lack of faith and fear. If the Canaanite woman is fearful, nothing in her demeanor shows that she is afraid. As a matter of fact, she sasses. That is not someone who is afraid. Someone who is afraid, people who are afraid do not sass you. This woman sassing Jesus. I'll take the scraps. <laughs> what do you think about that? Contrasting to the disciples, they are in a boat and they are terrified and they are crying out in fear. My friends, just a note, the same terminology is used for Jesus. Mark 15, 37, Jesus cried out in a loud voice and breathed his last. Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting a psalm. That psalm is a psalm of confidence and faith in God, not fear. Luke 23, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. John has him doing something a little bit different, of course, because John's always different. There, John 19, he says, Jesus said it is finished, and he gave himself over, gave up his soul. In all this, Jesus cries out also, but not in fear, out of love. So crying out to our Lord is not a problem. My friends, three times before the event of today's gospel, Jesus lamented about the lack of faith in his closest friends and followers. The Sermon of the Mount, Mount Matthew 6, 
it speaks about their lack of faith. In the calming of the sea, which I've been talking about here, Matthew 8, Matthew 14, Jesus speaks about their lack of faith. So let us look at Jesus' silence first, because we are told he was, didn't respond to her at all. Jesus' initial silence is not a rejection, but a giving of time for all to know that God is present to them. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. In the silence, one can listen and one can change. When there's chaos all around us, we can't hear anything, we don't know what's going on. Jesus, I believe, is trying to calm everything. He remains silent, hoping everyone would just shut up and listen. And for the woman, this change happens. In Jesus' refusals, she changes her tones with him. From crying out to, I'll take those scraps. Her demeanor changes. St. Claude says this about it. The woman seems to have caught on to the Lord's scheme. <laughs> I love that. Oh, you, Rabbi, you're up to something. I'll play along with you. You see, the saint says, we should look at it from this perspective. So although Jesus seems irritated by the words he uses about this woman, he's not. He actually welcomes her passion and her persistence. He almost, if you will, in my opinion, almost likes it. Not that she's suffering, meaning he likes that she is being persistent. She is, you don't care about the disciples. Do you guys shut up? I'm going to talk. You know, you can almost picture what's happening. Here's the other key. Her appeal to Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus who is Lord, is not about what is just. She does not appeal to him about what is just. She does not make an appeal that she's entitled to anything. She just simply appeals to his love and his divine mercy. The woman acknowledges that she is not part of the elect, the chosen ones, but in her response, somehow she seems to understand at some point in time, the lost is including her. The woman receives what she cried out for and even more. We are told that her Lord and ours, Jesus, gave her the ultimate praise. Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. I'd like Jesus to say that to me more often than he does. Um, so my friends, here it is for us. Perhaps we should all examine our preconceived ideas and assumptions and presumptions about who's going to heaven and who is not going to heaven. It's one thing to be curious. Oh, I wonder, I wonder. It's another thing to be judgmental and, con and condemn a group of people. I always joke because I've heard all the jokes like when I get up there, people are going to be like, oh, how did you get in here? <laughs> or are we looking like, wow, how did you get in here? I never thought you'd be up here. <laughs> so my, so my friends, in the Old Testament time, the Israelites and the foreigners were at each other trying to figure it out. In Jesus' time, it was the Jews and the Gentiles. In the early church, it was Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. In 2023, what do you think it is? It's something that's actually heartbreaking. It's Christians versus Christians throwing insults at each other. 
we've really got to change how we understand things and the assumptions and presumptions about things. And also, not only that, we need to change our opinion about when Jesus is silent or he says no. Maybe he's scheming, according to St. Claude, about something with us. Not in a scheming in a bad way, but in a good way. We really need to rethink when we start condemning who's worthy and unworthy. So what is it that we can learn from this gospel about faith and trust in God and about his mercy and his justice? And my friends, also what seems to be happening too is what did the disciples learn from someone who they considered not chosen, not worthy? What can we learn from those that we consider to be unworthy also? And my friends, I pray often, I ask God for things, not only for myself, but for the people that come to me. And sometimes it's no. Jesus, I'm like, nope. How about nope? Okay, maybe nope. So maybe Jesus is scheming, <laughs> meaning he's, there's a plan and I just can't see it. So I've learned to just go with it. Okay, I'm going to go with it. I won't stop asking, but okay. Hopefully I'll change as the, like the Canaanite woman. Here's my caveat to you. Jesus told the woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you will. Your will be done, he said to her. We say to God always, let your will be done. Apparently, this scripture says, sometimes God says to you, let your will be done. Number four, don't get carried away. If your will is like his, everything's good. But if your will is that you hate him, can't stand him or any of his people, God will say, let your will be done then. You want nothing to do with me. And then nothing, hello, brother. And nothing, such thoughts will not get you into heaven. So let us be careful. Because sometimes God does say, let your will be done.